Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. Amen. Praise God. We're talking about why serve God. This is our second lesson on the subject. In Joshua chapter 24, verse 15 is our foundational text. And we probably all know this verse, but we'll read it. And if, if it seem evil to you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and for my house, we will serve the Lord. Notice the decision that we all make to serve the Lord. It's a choice is what he's really saying. So we talked about throughout history, there have been many supernatural encounters that people have had with God that really inspired them to serve God by transforming their lives. I guarantee you, you come into contact with Jesus Christ at any time in your life in a powerful way. It will transform your life and it will inspire you to serve him and live for him. We talked about like the man that was for 38 years on a mat before the pool of Bethesda waiting for something to happen that never happened. But Jesus met him one time. He encountered Jesus one time. Instead of the mat carrying him, he picked up the mat and carried the mat. And where did he go? To the temple to find out what do I need to do to serve you, Lord? Isn't that what he did? Absolutely. Then we talked about a man named Noah. And what did Noah do? He had an encounter with God and he built a boat to the saving of his house. So think about the contributions these individuals have made because they had an encounter with God. Think about Abraham. He left all to serve God, and what happened? He gave birth to a nation and brought in the Messiah. That's pretty cool, wouldn't you say? Then someone by the name of Moses. What did Moses do? Moses encountered God at a burning bush, inspired him to serve God in such a way so as to change the course of two nations, Egypt and Israel. And of course, study his life. He was the... Most called servant of God than anybody else throughout all the whole Old Testament. Matter of fact, that was basically his title. Think about that title. Servant of the Lord. The servant of Jehovah. Think about this. When Jesus left the glory of the world behind, the Bible says that he dismantled himself from all the power and glory that he had. And he became a man and clothed himself as a servant of the Father when he walked upon the earth. That's a pretty good class, wouldn't you say? So we're all servants of the Lord. So what do servants do? Not a hard question. We serve, right? Absolutely. Then, of course, we talked about a man by the name of Isaiah. Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, full of glory. He saw the holiness of God. He didn't hear about the holiness of God. He didn't hear someone talk about the holiness of God. Didn't hear a message on the holiness of God. He actually witnessed the holiness of God. It drove him to his knees. And what did it inspire him to do? It transformed his life and he became a servant of the Most High God. And of course, he's the one that was inspired to do what? Give us the Isaiah 53 redemptive chapter. And of course, other prophetic things. And so we thank God for his prophetic ministry. But it started with an encounter with God. That's what we're talking about in this 21 days of fasting and prayer and waiting upon God. Get an encounter with God. Position yourself to receive an encounter with God. Because that's where it all starts. Even when it comes to healing or whatever. It all starts with experiencing God for yourself in a powerful way, through the Word or by the Spirit. Then, of course, what about Saul of Tarsus? 
Um, what an amazing transformation in his life. One encounter with Jesus and he is transformed into a person who becomes a servant of the Most High God. Rather than hating him, that is Christ, and wanting to destroy his work, becoming an enemy of the cross, an enemy of Christ, he became the servant of the Lord Jesus Christ and wrote more than half of the New Testament. That's a powerful transformation, wouldn't you say? But look at the contribution that he made to the kingdom of God and its advancement by doing what he did. And where did it start? One encounter with Jesus. That's all it takes. Then we got the 120 in the upper room, and they encountered the Holy Ghost. Cloven tongues like as a fire sat upon each of them, and what happened to them? They went from cowering in fear, being afraid for their lives, and locked up in an upper room in private, worshiping God, to publicly going forth unashamedly, without any fear whatsoever, but boldly proclaiming Jesus in a hostile environment in Jerusalem. What a powerful testimony from these individuals. So think about the contributions that people make. And then I share with you just my quick testimony, how God spoke to me in an audible voice. That was my encounter with God that brought me here to this church. And so as a result of that, of course, the ministry went from there. But that was the encounter that I had with him. Go to school, etc., etc., end up here, all orchestrated by the hand of God, because he's the one that puts things together in the body of Christ. Amen? All right, so as we continue our study, look at Deuteronomy chapter 28, Verses 47 and 48. We talked about how we can position ourselves to have an encounter with God. We can't make him give us one, but we can position ourselves by doing certain things. Now, because thou servest not the Lord thy God with joyfulness and gladness of heart for the abundance of all things, therefore shalt thou serve thine enemies which the Lord shall send against thee in hunger and in thirst and in nakedness. And in one of all things, he shall put a yoke of iron upon thy neck until he, ye he has destroyed thee. Why serve the Lord? Well, first of all, because of all the wonderful things he has done for us. That's what it said there. You're not serving him with joyfulness and gladness of heart. He's telling the people, for the abundance of all things. Well, what abundance of all things? We can get caught up in the society that we're living in right now. And we could basically not even see all the goodness of God, the greatness of God, the power of God. All these done for us in this life. And so, very quickly, let's talk about just a few of the things that he has done for us in Christ Jesus. This is one chapter. In one chapter in the book of Ephesians, we see some things he has done for all of us in Christ Jesus. Which should do what? Motivate us to serve him in some way with our lives. As a matter of fact, when we go off into glory, what are we told? We want to hear those wonderful words, thou, well done, thou good and faithful, what? Serve. What does a servant do? Serve. Serves. So we're serving God in some capacity. But look at Ephesians chapter 1, and look at verse 3. It tells us, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who had blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Wow. Say it with me, I'm blessed. Can you see how, how we're blessed? We are blessed because we're in Christ with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. We're not trying to be blessed. We're not going to get blessed. We already are blessed. And that should cause us to shout in itself. With all spiritual blessings. He's given us the kingdom. Can you imagine all that is ours that we have yet to see? But if he peeled back once again that layer and we saw all the blessings on the other side, can you imagine what those people are experiencing right now in glory? You hear the testimonies of some that have gone to the other side. It's like, wow. It's absolutely incredible what these people are experiencing right now. And we're, we feel sad that they've departed. I think that's just on us. For them, they're like, oh, you can't wait to get here. Number two, he has chosen us in him. 
Look at the next verse. According as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So say it with me, I am chosen. We're chosen by God, every single one of us. And I know there's a, a position that people hold saying that, well, if you're not a chosen one, it's because God didn't really want you. Now, wait a minute. I don't believe that's true at all. I believe if we had, well, how many we have here, but if we had 10 people in a room, he would say this, I chose you, I chose you, I chose you, I chose you. All 10 of them, I chose you. I've chosen you in Christ. We're all chosen in Christ. Here's the point. Did you choose Christ? See, all 10 of them are chosen by God. Only those that don't respond won't experience that relationship with him. The next one, and here's where we get another, another theological debate, and that's predestination. Having predestinated us into the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. All that is saying is this. It's not saying that if you're not predestinated, then you are. Then, you know, God chose you, but God didn't choose that one. That's ridiculous. Every single one of us was predestinated in Christ to be adopted into the family of God. There was no other way to get into that family. He's letting us know that. That no matter who you are, all you got to do is say yes to Jesus. And guess what? You're part of the royal family. So we've all been predestinated. So we've been blessed. We've been chosen. We've been predestinated to be in Christ Jesus. Look at the next one. And then to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us. Notice this. He made us accepted in the beloved. You are accepted in the beloved. You might not be accepted in a sorority. You might not be accepted in a fraternity. You might not be accepted at the country club somewhere. Because maybe you don't, you know, fit the qualifications, etc., etc., etc. Let me tell you something right now. You are fit for the kingdom of Almighty God to walk up to the Father in the throne of Almighty God because He made you accepted in the beloved by the blood that He shed for your redemption. You missed a good time to shout right there, but praise God. Look at the next one. Verse 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Say with me, I am redeemed. He thought enough of you and me that he paid the purchase price. He purchased us with his own blood so that we could belong to the family of Almighty God. You talk about things he's done for us. Why wouldn't that motivate me to serve him? Praise God. You know why? We had a sin debt we could not pay. We would spend our life in eternity in the lake of fire where we would suffer and suffer throughout eternity. But somebody came up, stood up to the plate. He went to the cross. He suffered and died. He shed his blood for us and paid the price for our ransom. Oh, my goodness. Why wouldn't I want to serve him for that? Look at the next one. He has abounded towards us. Where he hath abounded Toward us in all wisdom. That means he lavishly poured out himself upon us in all wisdom and prudence. Lavishly. God doesn't do anything in a minor way. It's a major outpouring. Just lavishing upon us his wisdom, his prudence. Look at the next one. These are some of the things he's done for us in Christ. Having made known to us a revelation, the mystery of his will, according to good pleasure, which he hath purpose in himself. Some people don't know why they're here living upon this earth. There, there it is. He gave you a revelation what his will is for your life, my life, everyone's life in the world. All you got to do is go to him, choose him, and you'll have a revelation of this. You'll have a manifestation of it. The mystery is no longer a mystery. It is revealed to each and every one of us. I didn't know what I was living for way back when before I came to Christ. Once I came to Christ, I knew. I'm living for him. 
Because I'm living here on this earth to make, a to make a decision about my destiny and my destination. My destination, I want to be in glory. My destiny is the trip along the way. And along the way, I want to be blessed and be a blessing everywhere I go. And when I leave this realm of life, I'm going to be with him in glory. What about you? That's the purpose of his will for each and every one of us. Look at the next one. This is good. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance. If you're just sitting there and you're just thinking, well, yeah, yeah. Look, if I told you that someone in your family was very wealthy and rich and left you one billion, with a B, dollars, would you just sit there and look at me like you're looking at me right now? I don't think so. He left us an inheritance. Inheritance is something that you've received, not because of who you are or what you've done, but someone did it for you. Someone gives it to you. And who did that for us? Jesus obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who works all things after the counsel of his own will. I have not seen nor ear heard, neither has entered the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love him. But one day he's going to show us in full detail what it is that we have on the other side in glory. And you know what? You'll agree with me then that it pays rich dividends to serve the living God with your life. Look at the next one. He has sealed us. In whom also you trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed you were sealed. Say it with me. I'm sealed. With the Holy Spirit of promise. You know what that word seal means? You have been branded as God's very own. He has branded you with this branding iron and put upon us that we belong to him. Isn't that good to know that you belong to him? Sealed by the Holy Spirit. I belong to the living God. I'm a child of the Most High God. Wow. That's something to be excited about and to serve him for. Look at the next one. In First Peter, uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. Who has delivered us. Say with me, I'm delivered. Say it again, I am delivered. See, not we're not going to be delivered. We have been delivered. I'm delivered from the power of darkness. And translated, he translated us to the kingdom of his dear son. Oh, thanks be to God. You and I were planted in the realms of darkness, in the kingdom of darkness, because of Adam and Eve from the very beginning. No one could come out from beneath the tyranny of that darkness. And, of course, the outcome of it as well. But someone loved us so much that he said, I can't leave them like that. And so Jesus came to die for us. And when he did, he rose from the dead. When he rose from the dead, guess what? He brought us up with him. Every person on the planet has been raised up together with Christ. All they have to do is acknowledge it and receive it and walk in the light of it. If they don't do it, it's their fault. But you know what? If you said yes to Christ, you know what he did? He uprooted you and me from the jurisdiction of the kingdom of darkness and transplanted us into the kingdom of the son of his love. And now he is the Lord of our lives, not the devil and not the powers of darkness. Aren't you glad for that? We wouldn't have to be uh, tugged around on a rope by the enemy any longer because we've been transplanted. We belong to Jesus. He brought us out for what reason? To serve him. Look at the next one. First Peter 2, 24, his own, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live to righteousness, by whose stripes, say with me, I was healed. If I was healed, then I am healed. I declare I'm healed. I proclaim I'm healed. I rejoice in my healing. He's restored health to me. He's healing my every wound. Praise God. Make it a reality. One encounter with this man for 38 years, the real Jesus showed up at, the, at that pool of Bethesda 
And for 38 years, all behind him now, he gets up and he's whole. Why? Because that's the real Jesus. The real Jesus stood up. That's the Jesus that we serve. And shouldn't we serve him for those reasons? Absolutely. But then, let's move on. Because of the consequences of serving the enemy. What did it say in the latter part, verse 48? Because you don't serve the Lord your God, you're going to serve your enemy. In naked, in, in hunger, in thirst, and nakedness, in the one of all things, he'll put a yoke of iron around your neck until you be destroyed. So the consequences of not serving the Lord is, remember this, if we're not serving the Lord, we're serving someone, either serving self, serving sin, think about it, or Satan himself, we're serving someone, something, no matter who we are, we're going to serve something, serving ourselves, serving the enemy, and that's what he said. So, so number one, what does he say? You're going to be hungry, you're going to be thirsty, and you're going to be naked, stripped away. What does he mean by that? Hey, I know atheists that are well off and living well off lives. Well, that may be true in the natural. But if you call in the book of Revelation when he said, you've got eyes and you think you see, you think you're rich and you're wealthy, but you're poor. Isn't that what Jesus said to the, to the churches? To one church, he said, you can't see. You, you've got eyes to see, but you can't see. You can see naturally, but you can't see spiritually. You think you're wealthy because you're rich financially, but you're really not. You're really poor. And he went on to talk about their true condition. Look, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6 and verse 25, look at what it says. Therefore I say to you, take no thought for your life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, hungry, thirsty, or for your body, what you're going to put on. It's not the life more than meat and the body than raiment. It's not all about what we eat, what we drink, and what we wear. Look at verse 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. So here's the... Here's the plan of the enemy, to keep us hungry, thirsty, and stripped away from all decency and dignity, serving him. Is that what we really want? Is that what people should really want in their lives? Absolutely not. And when we talk about hunger, do you ever notice that the desires of the flesh are insatiable desires? You're going to be hungry. You may, you may get full one day. Have you ever been there where you had a turkey dinner for Thanksgiving and you got ate so much that it was about to come out of you? And you finally just said, I can never eat another thing ever again until an hour later. And an hour later, you're ready to go again, round two. Or the next house that you went to, round three. Who knows? Those desires are insatiable. Thirst desires are insatiable. And people, for some reason, like a lot of clothes, and they, maybe that's an insatiable desire as well. But he's trying to say this to us. Look, you'll never satisfy the needs of the flesh ever. So why serve them? Why serve the devil, the world, or the flesh when you can serve the living God? And he says, in me, you have to be concerned about what you eat, drink, or what you're going to wear. Because you see, I didn't bring shame to you. I bring righteousness to you and dignity to you and decency to your life. Uh, then he talks about the want of all things. The want of all things. Notice, not needs, but wants. Psalm 23, verse 1, you know the verse. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I shall not want. When you serve him, you don't have any wants either. But when you serve the devil, you'll be in want of all things. In other words, he wants dissatisfaction. He wants us to be dissatisfied with life, with our existence, and so on and so forth. But not the Lord. The Lord says, no, no, no. When you serve me, you won't want for any good thing. And then he goes on to say that um, he'll put a yoke of iron around your neck. 
Notice it's a yoke of iron, something that's heavy, to weigh you down. And what's he going to do with it? Destroy us with it. That's what his desire is. That's what he wants to do. But Jesus said, take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is what? Like, he's a light and easy guy. Light and easy. But the devil, he's hard rock, heavy metal kind of guy. Hard and heavy. And he'll put that yoke around your neck and drag you around until he destroys every fiber of our being. That's exactly what he wants to do. And what will he use? He'll use the insatiable desires of the flesh to do that. So, why should we serve the Lord? Because, number one, all the wonderful things he's done for us. Also, number two, because serving the enemy doesn't produce anything that's good for us in life. Number three, look at the next one. Because... It's the right decision to make. It's the right choice. It's the right thing to do. Look in the book of Malachi, chapter 3. This is from the Holman Christian Standard Bible. Look at what it says. Your words against me are harsh, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we spoken against you? You have said, it is useless to serve God. What have we gained by keeping his requirements and walking mournfully before the Lord of hosts? So now we consider the arrogant to be fortunate. How sad. Not only do those who commit wickedness prosper, they even test God and escape. At that time, those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. The Lord took notice and listened. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who feared Yahweh and had high regard for his name. They will be mine, says the Lord of hosts, of special possession on the day I am preparing. I will have compassion on them as a man has compassion on his own son who serves him. So you again see the difference between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and one who does not serve him. So let's break it down. It's the right choice. He presents two groups, group A and group B. So in group A, we find this, verses 13 through 15. This is not the group you want to be a part of. This is the group to avoid. Trust me. But here are some of their characteristics and the way they think. Number one, they were complainers. It is useless to serve God. I see no need in doing it. How many times have you heard people say, Oh, I'm a, I'm a good Christian. I can just sit at home and do whatever I want to do and blah, blah, blah. Wait a minute. No, it's not the right attitude to have. It's... Useless to go to church. It's useless to read your Bible. It's useless to witness to somebody. No. They said it was useless to serve God. That's how they felt about it. Well, they complained. They were complainers just like the ones that came out of Egypt. Everywhere they went, every stop they made, they complained about everything they encountered in their lives. It's useless to serve God. Remember the book of Exodus chapter 9 and verse 1? God wrought many miracles, 10 miracles in the lives of the Israelites in dealing with the Egyptians. And here's what God said. Moses, tell him this. Then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh and tell him, thus saith the Lord of hosts, or the Lord of the God of Hebrews, let my people go that they could serve themselves. Their fleshly desires, their own wants and needs. Now, what did he say? Man, let them go. Let them go. I'm warning you now. One time, two times, three times, four times, nine times. Okay, you still don't want to listen? You don't want to see the tenth one. Because the tenth one, you're going to lose the firstborn. And you know Pharaoh, he was stubborn, wouldn't let him go. 
But why did God want to let them go? To serve him. Why? Because serving the enemy was horrible for them, wasn't it? In the natural and also in the spiritual would have been for them. Couldn't even worship God like they wanted to worship God. But once again, I'm bringing them out to serve me. So why say it's useless to serve God when there you are serving the enemy in that way and gaining nothing from it? Number two, their view of God was completely wrong. Completely wrong. Look in the book of Exodus also, chapter 14, verse 11. And they said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? You brought us out to die. You brought us out to kill us. Well, we know that God didn't bring them out to die. He wanted them to die. They could have stayed there and died in, in, in their slavery. He brought them out to bless them, not to curse them, to help them, not to hurt them. He brought them out so that they could have a better life. And yet, they complained about it. If you recall the story of the um, ten spies going out to spy out the land, you know they complained, they complained, they complained, they complained, they complained about what they saw, what they heard, all the things that were there before them. That's all they did was complain. Had no ability to see beyond the natural world to the spiritual realm, knowing that God would defend them and protect them and help them and lift them up like the man off the mat. And they, they couldn't see that. So their view of God was wrong. Their attitude toward God is the next one. Their attitudes are absolutely wrong. Look at the next verse, verse, verse 12 of Exodus 14. Is not this the word we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, let us alone that we may serve, whoa, the Egyptians. Actually admitted it, serve the devil. You want to serve the devil, serve the Egyptians, serve the world, serve the flesh. Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. How many today are serving desires of the flesh, serving whatever in the world, thinking that they're going to get great gain from it? And yet, that attitude is wrong. God didn't bring us out. He didn't save us so that we would die. He didn't save us to kill us. He didn't save us to hurt us. He saved us to help us, to bless us, to empower us, to enable us, to have a life that's worth living and also a life that's worth living for him, to bless him as a result of our salvation. Look at the next one. They lost their motivation for holy living. They really did. You know, when you're really not serving God and you take yourself out of the environment where others serve God and they encourage you to serve God as well, you can be placed in a situation where you lose your desire to live a holy life before God. Look in the book of Exodus, chapter 32, beginning in verse 6. We see it happening in these people's lives. And they rose up early on the morrow. They offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink. And they rose up to play. Notice the eating and the drinking. And they rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Get thee down for thy people, which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way, which I commanded them. They have made a molten calf. They have worshipped it. They have sacrificed thereunto and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And so we see here that they lost the desire to live a holy life before God. Because why? They weren't surrounding themselves with people of like precious faith. They lost their, their vision for what God had for them. They lost their motivation as a result and didn't live a holy life before God. And so God was aware of it. He saw it. And he, of course, he sends help. Thank God for that. Their focus was wrong. Look at Malachi 3.15. This is from the New Living Translation. Their focus was wrong. From now on, we will call the arrogant blessed. What an attitude. What focus. What does that speak of in this, today's society? Now, look at those people. They're non-believers and they're wealthy. They're rich. Look. They're doing this, they're doing that. Look, it seems like they're blessed even above us. That's, yeah, that's a wrong 
focus. For those who do evil get rich, and those who dare God to punish them suffer no harm. They're just focusing on what? People that don't serve God and how they feel they're having a better life than what they have because they're serving God. You know, there's going to be challenges when we serve God. There's no question about that, but that's a wrong attitude to have. There was a couple, um, an elderly couple, they were coming home from Africa where they spent many, many, many years as missionaries. And in that place, they were just serving God. They didn't have a, much at all. Well, finally, the time came for them to retire. They go to get on this huge ship to come back to America. Well, they didn't know this, but they saw a lot of fanfare there as they were getting on the boat or the ship. And then when they got on, they realized that they were getting on the same ship that Theodore Roosevelt, president of the United States at that time, was getting on. He was coming home from a hunting expedition. He spent some time there in Africa hunting. Well, the fellow saw this fanfare that he got, then it finally got to America. When it got to America, there was a band there waiting for him. There was all this fanfare, all news reporters and all that, people applauding him as they got off the plane and just having a wonderful time of celebration because why? The president came home from a hunting expedition in Africa. The fellow was like despondent, a little bit upset, started to express his displeasure with his wife, finally got back to where they stayed. They said, we have nothing. We've got to go find jobs. We don't have any um, retirement or anything like that. we just got to fend for ourselves. And the wife saw just how down he was and said, honey, what's the matter with you? And he said, well, I'll tell you. We spent all these years serving God, all these years in Africa, sacrificing everything we have to help these people out. There's not one person to meet us, not one person to greet us after all these years when we come home, even to say anything to us. The president's on a hunting expedition. All the fanfare, all the excitement, the band is playing and all that. What do we get? It's like God didn't even notice us, doesn't even care. She said to him, thank God for a wife that will encourage. You know, she said, honey, why don't you go back in the bedroom there and talk to God? Spill your heart out. Talk to him. So he goes back there. Short time later, he comes out. His whole countenance has changed. He's excited. His wife looks at him and says, what in the world happened to you back there? I did exactly what you said to do. I went back there and I said, Lord, okay, the president's the president, but my goodness, he was on a hunting expedition. We've been there for all these years serving you, serving the needs of the people. We have nothing. And when we came back, we had no fanfare, no one to meet us. We get home and there's not one thing or one person there to help us. He said, and as I said that, the Lord said to me, son, you're not home yet. Amen. Can you imagine what he was <laughs> going to experience when he truly got home? He said, when he said that, his whole attitude changed. His whole countenance changed. What are we saying? It pays to serve God. You may not see the full benefit of it here when you're living on this side of heaven and glory. But I'm telling you, once you step across the shore to the other side, everything and anything you've ever done to advance the kingdom of God will be rewarded for by the King of kings and Lord of lords. And you know what? I heard he does things well. So can you imagine the homecoming you're going to experience when you get there? For serving him. And you don't want to miss out on that. Group B is the group we want to be a part of. Look at verse 16 from the Holman Christian Bible. Uh, 
translation here? At that time, those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. The Lord took notice and listened. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who feared Yahweh and had high regard for his name. They will be mine, says the Lord of hosts, a special possession on the day I am preparing. I will have compassion on them as a man has compassion on his son who serves him. So you will again see the difference between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. Number one, notice this group that we're to belong to. Number one was the first thing he said. They feared the Lord. We're talking about godly reverential fear. We're talking about a fear uh, as Vine's expository dictionary, New Testament words talks about being a controlling motive of the life in matters of spiritual, spiritual matters and moral matters. A wholesome dread of displeasing God. So in other words, it's not a horrible fear, but it's a reverential fear. A fear that is a righteous fear. The kind of fear that we should have before God. Like in the natural world that we live in, we have some common sense fears, don't we? For example, aren't you sometimes, if you have an early flight to catch, aren't you somewhat a little bit afraid of missing the, you know, the flight if you don't get up early enough? And so what do you do? You set an alarm to make sure. Now you might get up on your own, but you want to be sure you don't miss the, the flight. So that's a wholesome fear. And what about a wholesome fear of touching electricity? Have you ever tried to change something electrically and get zapped by it? It'll produce a fear in you. A reverential fear, you understand. Not something that you're afraid of like in a negative way, but a, a, a right way. Wow. Next time you'll be more cautious whenever you say, I can do it without turning off the power. Mm, yeah, I did that once. I got knocked off the chair under the floor. I don't do that anymore. Or don't stick your hand down the garbage disposal. They say, turn off the power before you do that. And of course, there's some other fears that we have, you know, at a time like this, and in in, in when there's a, let's say, uh, COVID-19, and you're having a pandemic, a global pandemic and everything, aren't you afraid of not having enough paper products? <laughs> I, I, I meant, you know, <sighs> never mind. Can you imagine the first time this broke out? Everybody was there. I went to Walmart and I went, there's not a toilet paper to be found anywhere in this place. So I said, well, I'll just go to the next one. I went over there and there was nothing there. No paper towels. No, what, what in the world is going on here? And then use sand, hand sanitizer, right? You can't find any anywhere. Now it's everywhere, but you couldn't find it then. I guess that was a wholesome fear that they had that wouldn't, they wouldn't have enough paper products. And so they stocked up. Of course, they walked in love, right? They kept them all in their closet and everything. And if you needed some, you weren't going to get any. Are you kidding me? But there's common sense fears that we understand. And they help us and they guide us through this life. But there's also some common sense fears when it comes to the spiritual realm in which we live. There should be a wholesome dread and desire of living, let's say, a sinful life. Why? Because the wages of sin is what? Death. So it's a wholesome fear, isn't it? Just like electricity. Oh, I'm not going to play with that. Well, when it comes to sin, I'm not going to play with that. When it comes to, for example, mercy. And I've said this oftentimes. To the merciless, he shows himself merciless. But to the merciful, he shows himself merciful. So there should be a wholesome dread of not showing mercy, a wholesome dread of not forgiving, and a wholesome dread of, and the list goes on and on. For example, not giving to the Lord and paying your tithes. Why? Who wants to live under a curse? Anybody? Any takers on that? We wouldn't live under the blessing, right? 
And what does Malachi say? You're cursed with a curse. Why? Because you didn't give to the Lord and provide for that need for the church and for the body of Christ and et cetera, et cetera, to, for the evangelization of the world. So who wants to live under a curse? So we're motivated to do what? To give the support, the work of God as a giver because we know we're blessed in doing so. Okay, so number one, they had a reverential fear of God. Number two, they encouraged one another. And this is so important and so powerful. They encouraged one another. Look, at the next part they said was they spoke to one another. That means they encouraged one another. If you recall the story, once again, when the ten spies went out, those ten spies came back and what did they do? They discouraged everyone. There's walled cities. There's giants in the land. There's no way we're going to be able to get in there and we're, we're not going to be able to do it. And so they disheartened everybody. Even Caleb said their hearts waxed, was like melted like wax because of those words. But what about Caleb and Joshua? They didn't do that. They said, oh, no, 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 we can do it. We understand in the natural world that we see giants, we see walled cities. But you know what? God is on our side. So let's not disobey him. Let's serve him. They were encouraged to go forward, but they wouldn't do it. So number one, they had fear of God. Number two, they encourage each other to say, look, we can do this thing. We can. Look at the, once again, go to verse 16 from the Holman Christian Standard Bible. or Look what it says. At that time, those that who feared the Lord spoke to one another. Think about it. We are to encourage one another, to speak to one another. During this pandemic, during what we're going through right now, What's the best thing we could possibly do is to encourage one another, to speak words of faith to one another, to help one another when it comes to inspiring someone, let's say, to serve God, to walk with God, to take their place and do their part, to make their contribution, whatever it might be, to advance the kingdom of God upon the earth. Uh, look at the next uh, here in Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17. This is the, the scripture that is used basically for what I'm saying. Iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. Think about that. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to sharpen you spiritually. Why? Because you see, words are powerful containers of life or death. And when we speak the word of life to people as an encourager, it touches their heart and touches their lives and just lifts their spirits and enables them to go forward and do what God ha would have us to do. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 through uh, 25. And this is on the heels of entering into the holiest place of all. Keep that in mind as we read these verses. The previous verses talk about entering in by the blood of Jesus to this new and, to this new and living way, to the very throne of Almighty God, where we have access by the blood of Jesus Christ to talk to the Father on the throne. And then, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. Straight from the throne of God, he is saying, now look, hold fast your confession of faith because God is faithful who promised and also encourage one another. Encourage one another in the Lord to love and to good works, to service, in other words, to serve the Lord. Why? It's so important because in the days that we're living in right now, look, what does the world want us to do? Stay away from church. Stay away from coming together. Stay away from encouraging each other. Getting us to believe the lie that being apart is just as good as being together. And that's a lie. That's not the truth. God wants us to come together. God wants us to join ourselves together. And even the more as we see the day approaching. And you know, he's coming soon. We know that. And we want to be ready. But right from the throne of God, he says, now go and encourage one another to, to love and to good works. And to assemble together to carry out the purpose of God's will. And then Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 10. Look at what it says. For God's not unjust. 
He will not forget your work and your love you showed for his name when you served the saints. Wow. When you served the saints and you continue to serve them. What a high calling to be a servant. Jesus was a servant. Jesus said, do as I do when he washed their feet and says, follow my example. And so, you see, serving God is very important. We want to be a part of group B, serving God, no matter what it is. The smallest thing that we could possibly do. To be honest with you, it doesn't matter what your job description might be. God's going to reward you for any service that you do for the Lord. Amen. No matter who we are. And finally, we'll close with verse 18. Look at verse 18 again. They are considered his special possession. And one translation says treasure. Do you want to be considered his special possession and treasure? Well, let's read it. So you will again see the difference between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. Now that prior verse said, if you serve him, you are his special possession. You are his treasure. And he will have compassion upon those who serve him. So once again, we have the motivation from the word of God to be a servant of the most high God. But the problem is not everybody seems to do that. Not everybody makes that choice or decision. Why? Because, once again, they could be infected by the mentality of other people that say, it doesn't pay to serve God. Why do you do that? Why do you give your money uh, to the Lord? Why do you give 10%? You could do things with that money. You can go on vacations. You can do this. You can do that. But no, you need to be around people that say, it pays to serve the living God. It pays to lay down your life for Him. Why? Because this is a temporal world that we live in. And we're going to an eternal place. That will never cease to exist. And so our destiny is this trip along the way. But our destination is eternity with him in glory. And what do we want to be known as when we get there? Servants. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You were faithful in small things. And now I'm going to put you in charge over bigger things. Let's all stand together before the Lord.